Hello and welcome to the Tech Health Podcast presented by Nuffield Health. We made it. Episode 2. So, here we are. Episode 2. And like most of the world's population, the podcast seems this week to have been very easily overtaken by Pokemon Go. We start with a conversation with Matthew Stout, uh, CEO at Applied VR, about how virtual reality's remit in healthcare seems to be almost limitless, from pain management to behavioural change. Of course, we couldn't have that conversation this week without at least touching on the Pokemon Go phenomenon. And on a similar theme, we also talk again to Nuffield Health's Chief Digital and Information Officer, Alan Payne, about the way Pokemon Go is tricking us all into moving towards our 10,000 steps a day. But first... Applied VR is a young business based in the States which has its sights set on offering drug-free alternatives for managing the pain and anxiety of medical procedures through the use of virtual reality. But why virtual reality? Well, as Applied VR CEO Matthew Stout recently told the news channel in the States, because anything else doesn't allow you to truly hijack the brain. Yep, those are his words. And as far as Matthew's concerned, pain management is just the tip of the iceberg for patient-focused VR solutions. I managed to catch up with Matthew over Skype while he was attending Med City Converge in Philadelphia this week, and we started our conversation by discussing how leaps in virtual reality technology are allowing Applied VR to do what they do. Yeah, uh, so the uh, what we're Applied VR is creating the plat uh, uh, the leading platform to deliver validated therapeutic VR content for patients. And uh, that, you know, the, there's a rich history of VR uh, that, uh, to, to, that's been proven in, in academic and clinical settings, uh, but the technology was never at a point where you could actually bring it to market and make it accessible. And now with the sort of Cambrian explosion that's occurring in VR and the, the race in the HMD area, suddenly you've got, you know, we're all walking around with a VR device. So now you can take all of this rich, rich, uh, uh, academic work that's been done and actually make it applicable and we sort of call this the age of utilization for VR you can now actually use this VR for good to help change attitudes and behaviors and, and outcomes and the the area you're looking to uh, apply that in is is in like pain management yeah so so we take we take a, a very broad view and we actually think about the patient as a whole and what are the different ways that you can use VR to, to, to have a therapeutic, sort of a non-pharmacological therapeutic impact on patients. Initially, we're focusing on acute pain and anxiety. And, but beyond that, then you think about patient education uh, so that they feel more confident when they're coming into a hospital or you think about uh, after they've left the hospital, uh, can you do something that helps them change their life? So if the person comes to a hospital for a stent in the heart or something like that, uh, they leave, yeah, you, you solve the symptom, but you haven't fundamentally changed the attitudes or behaviors of that person so that they lead a better lifestyle and you can start to think about trying to cut down on, on them coming back to, into the hospital. Um, or you can also use it for other mental health areas like autism, depression. You know, there's, there's just a, a ton of areas where VR has a role that it can play. So that's, uh, that's a pretty broad uh, remit you're, you're painting for VR there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing 
and it's going to be, you know, we, we start we focus today on VR and, and it's just going to expand as, as uh, AR and but some people call MR, mixed reality, uh, comes out from the headset perspective. Uh, but, it, you know, the thing is, this isn't all just sort of pie in the sky dreams. It's, it's actually we look at the thousand plus research studies that have been done from leading professors around the world, whether it be over Jeremy Balinson up at Stanford or Giuseppe Riva over in Spain and uh, Mel Slater. I think he's over. In, uh, I can't remember where he's based out of. Uh, but uh, but there's been all this great rich academic research that's been done that demonstrates the efficacy of VR to be a platform for change. And it's just now is the opportunity where suddenly it's accessible. You know, the headgear, even three years ago, used to cost about $50,000 U.S. And today it's, you know, literally you can de- 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 deliver something that's on your cell phone. So, Sure. So <clears throat> just... To get a, a clear idea of, of what we're talking about in the sort of in the pain management space, um, just before Christmas, I was going to um, hypnobirthing sessions with my then heavily pregnant wife, uh, and so it was the lights were down low, and we were, um, you know, you, she's, she had a child. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's happened. Uh, yeah. With we're, we're six months on and. Uh, and, uh, and, I'm I'm know. seven months, by the way. So, oh, congratulations! Uh, my, uh, uh, did you have a boy or a girl? Uh, we had a girl. Little, I, I thought it was a pterodactyl, but the medical professionals assured me it was a healthy <laughs> baby girl. Congratulations! Yes, <laughs> um, yeah, so, yours was a boy or girl? Uh, a boy, a boy, uh, born on Christmas Day. Oh so, my gosh! Wow. Yeah, not not the best of planning. Amazing. He'll be he'll be he'll be. Um, Paying for my mistakes for the rest of his life. Yeah, seriously, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So we were in uh, a sort of a darkened hall with a bunch of other expecting parents, and being read through a, a couple of you know breathing exercises and, and and all that sort of stuff, and some visualization exercises where. Um, obviously, I, I was just there to remember it, to remind her as, uh, uh, when the moment came. But <laughs> in terms of her, my wife managing pain, um, there are tropes that we all know. Go to your, go to your calm place. Go to that happy place, and it's a, a babbling brook or a or a sunset. So, uh, is it too much of a, a layman's term to say you're basically taking the hard work out of visualizing that because? people are actually experiencing those surrounds through VR. Yeah. You know, it's funny you brought up hypnobirthing. Obviously when you think about acute pain, there's probably not more acute pain than, than a woman would ever go through. Yeah. I'm probably uh, going to birth. I'm probably going to pay the price for saying that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know, uh, I, I certainly tried to bring VR and, and, that moment let me just say that's that's a bad idea the first time you introduce VR to your wife is that she's going through her, her contractions, bad idea. Um, uh, but, but uh, obviously, when a woman is going through uh, uh, delivery, she's not going to have a headset on her device that that you know takes her out of that moment. Um, but it's about training her up to that moment, and so it's about teaching sort of mindfulness and and meditation, hypnobirthing. Uh, for for a lot of people, it's hard for them to sit down and and you know teach themselves meditation or whatnot. And the nice thing about VR is you know it, it actually helps you get there more quickly to learn. It's more efficient uh, training mechanism than sitting down and trying to force yourself to, to shut everything out, right? It, this naturally shuts everything out. So 
Uh, and then when you go in, into the actual birth itself, then it's more about just triggering the all the training that you, you've had to be able to take yourself to that to that safe place. Um, that, but you know, we're, that's so. I think that's a, that's a clear use case for this. Um, where we're starting with this today is in the, what's called the perioperative space. So that's you know before, during, and after procedures. And procedures can be broadly defined: uh, epidural during, epidural placement during uh, delivery is a procedure sure. obviously delivery is a procedure or uh colonoscopy or a cast removal or uh you know when you go to an OBGYN office for something that's called a leap procedure which i have no idea what the hell that is but apparently it's not comfortable for women um but you know th these are different areas that you can actually use this um because it's all about focus right pain is something that while we think it's at the, the point of contact it's actually something that you it, it's it's recognized in the brain. And so the more you focus on that, the more painful it becomes to you. So if you just, if you do nothing else, but then break that cycle of focus on the pain, then uh, you can create a better uh, outcome and experience and mitigate that pain. Uh, but then additionally, when the person is going through actual pain, if you, you know, it's really, this is all driven by the notion of putting cognitive load on the brain. And as smart as we are as mammalians, we're terrible at actually uh, trying to handle you know, multiple thoughts in our mind at the same time. And because pain is something that's actually, you know, we, we have pain receptors in the brain. If we can use VR as a way to put cognitive load on your brain and get you to think and, and interact and do something different, then literally your pain receptors dim down, quiet down. And so we can have an actual measurable impact on that pain. Um, and just to give you a very quick story about, about this, uh, where this was, this, I kind of consider this that launched uh, all the great research that's come since it. Uh, it was a, a guy named Hunter Hoffman, who is a, a, a great researcher at the University of Washington uh, here in Seattle, or, uh, um, or uh, the state of Washington. And he had a, a simple idea uh, that burn victims when they're going through this thing called debridement, which is when you actually wash and clean the actual burn wound, which is apparently one of the most painful things you'll ever go through in your life. Um, traditionally, you use opioids as a way to mitigate that, that pain. Um, and of course, obviously, we all know in, in America, at least, we're going through an opioid epidemic and uh, because of the huge overprescription of opioids and uh, it also has a bunch of GI side issues and, and there's all these negative side effects. And, and in the case of debridement, it only is so effective at mitigating that intense pain. And so he went out and he created this thing called Snow World, which was this, you know, the snow land and you're going through and you're gliding through and you're shooting snowballs at these snowmen. So it's active cognitive engagement. And then he did a test and control and the, the test was... Uh, using the snow world VR only, and the the control was actually giving people opioids. And he they then used both the subjective measurement, which is the one traditional one to ten pain scale, which is self-reported, and he looked at an actual uh, objective measurement, which was using an fMRI to measure the pain receptors in the brain. And on both metrics, the subjective one to ten and the objective fMRI, uh, he was able to demonstrate that uh, o uh, VR outperformed opioids. And then there have been 100-plus studies since then that kind of de demonstrated and reaffirmed that, uh, that, uh, that initial hypothesis. And that uh, just that fact in itself is absolutely incredible, isn't it? It's a, it, it's a, yeah. it turns everything on its head. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's truly amazing uh, what you can achieve with VR. And then there's, you know, there's a, a ton of other areas. We talked earlier about the, the broad use cases, and you know, I talked about even things like autism and depression. And, and it's, it's because it's the, of the ability of VR to hijack the brain. And you know, I'll give you guys uh, give you an example here. Um, we we have this demonstration that we use uh, just to show the power of VR and how we can hijack your brain. And uh, um, we we created this experience uh, in the Oculus Rift where we take you up 500 feet on the side of a building in a window washing uh, carrier, and then we have the gate fall off, and we ask you to take a, a simple step off. And uh, we've probably had 3,000 plus people go through this. I've had situations where I've had 150 people in line all staring at a big flat screen and they see the person standing there in the VR headset and they're going up the wall, they're grabbing the wall and the, the gate falls off and hear them kind of scream sometimes and we try to get them to take a step and, and everyone in the line looks at that and they see this 2D version of it and they're like, what? why is this person acting like that? What, what is going on? And they're like, I'll, I'm, I'll be better than that. And then and when they would get into the, the VR experience, within 10 seconds, they say, ah, I get it. I, I totally understand. And so this is one of those things where, you know, you and I can sit here and talk about this all day long. But, in, but it's seeing is truly believing in this case. It's something that you can't just say, go and try to watch a, a video online or something. You actually have to get into VR to truly really understand the power of uh, VR to hijack the mind. And how much of a, a role does um, sound design play in it, in it having that impact? Yeah, uh, so actually sound, it's, it's good you brought that up because uh, a lot of people think it's just a, a visual experience. At the end of the day, you know, the two things you'll hear people talk about are empathy and presence, and in, uh, which is and presence is driven by the, uh, the level of immersion you can create. Now, creating immersion is something about uh, engaging as many of the senses as possible. So if you engage a sight, that's one level of immersion. But if you engage sight and sound, that's a second degree. And then if you can layer in, whether it be senses or uh, touching, uh, all of that just keep continues to deepen that, that level of immersion that you get, which means it further and further hijack that brain. So in terms of, uh, I, I reached out to you a, a little while ago and you were gearing up for um, demo day. You talk to us a little bit about about uh, what Demo Day was like and and where uh, Applied VR is is heading as a as a business. Yeah, so uh, we were um, so we, we were part of the Cedar Sinai TechStars uh, Healthcare Accelerator Program, and I, I'll be honest, with you, I didn't even really know anything about TechStars until about two weeks before the whole program started. And I had you know, a couple of people on my side side kept suggesting that I should reach out and talk to them and uh, we'd, we'd already been working with Cedar Sinai so I was always trying to understand the value that Techstars and Cedar Sinai could bring when I had a pre-existing relationship. At the same time Cedar Sinai was excited by the work that we were doing and so they called, reached out to us and said hey we've already got this, this accelerator going and we have the 10 companies selected but we're so excited by the work that you're doing we'd love to get, get you in here and have you guys be team 11. And so we ended up uh, after about a 24 hour speed dating uh, decided that it would make sense for us to hook up, and uh, you know, initially, I will be honest, with you, I had some trepidation about about the program, but from day one, the moment we started, we saw how much Cedar Sinai, uh, which is the hospital over here, they were invested in this from Tom Preslack, the CEO, all the way through the entire organization. 
uh, we knew we'd, we'd made the right choice to, to come in and do it. And um, it, they, they were such an amazing partner, both on the, the Cedar Sinai and Techstars side. And, you know, in many cases, accelerators talk about, you know, you come in and you'll do more in three months than most companies do in two months. And I, I think, yeah, a lot of that's uh, talking into the wind a little bit. But in the world of healthcare, and especially in the world of healthcare and in the U.S., uh, which is one of the most convoluted, complex, crazy systems, uh, it actually is tr true here. And so uh, the great thing about Cedar sinai was, you know, they, they helped us really uh, – identify all the different areas within Cedars where you could use something like this Every, everywhere from infusion oncology for cancer patients to the emergency room to uh, OBGYN for you know gynecological procedures to orthopedics cast removal for kids and and all of that and then at the same time it also helped challenge us on our assumptions and helped us validate our, our kind of go-to-market strategy and our pricing model and all of that and so uh, of course, it all is is kind of culminates in this five minute experience where you walk on stage and you, you gotta kind of present the business model in a very uh, clear and concise manner. And uh, and you know, that's the other thing is it really helps you refine your story so that you, you can convey a lot of rich information in a short period of time. And uh, and it was it's, it was great. You know, I, I the amount of uh, press that we were able to get from this and help us even evangelize what we're doing into the marketplace has been great and so you know as we're we're in the process of rolling this out and we're getting we just got interest from uh, uruguay actually of all places wow. uh, reaching out and saying hey we, we saw what you're doing and we've heard stories about this and want to know what we can do to, to try to bring something like that down here um so it's you know the, the reach of of this has been fantastic so I've got uh, one last question before I let you get back to the conference, um, and it's less of a question and more of a statement. Uh, Pokemon Go. <laughs> but, well, that's all. You know, all of this is doing things like Pokemon Go are uh, demonstrating the acceptability and and the the power of this, and you know that's the first one that's really gone mainstream using off the shelf technology. And uh, you're, you're going to see a, a lot more of Pokemon Go uh, coming out here uh, in all different shapes, sizes, and, and forms. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, again, I go back to the, the term I used earlier on is this is the Cambrian explosion. And, and you know, this, is the, this is just the very, very – this isn't even dot .10. This is dot .0001 of what you're going to see in terms of the, the sensors and biometric feedback and brain using brain waves to power VR experiences and AR experiences, you know, you have magic leap. That is just an amazing technology. And when that they're able to bring that thing to, to market, uh, it's, it's going to be kind of revolutionary just as VR is revolutionary. So, you know, this is an exciting time to be alive. So it sort of sounds cliche to say that, but you know, when you actually see the, the ability to impact people and help them change their lives, it really does feel that way. So that was um, Matt Stout from Applied VR earlier this week. And uh, I'm joined now on the phone by Nikki Young, Senior Content Producer at Nuffield Health. Uh, Nikki, we've had quite a week when it comes to Pokemon Go, haven't we? We certainly have. It has absolutely exploded on social media. 
and and in our own office. <laughs> yeah, in our own office is the bit that that surprises me most. It's like some kind of uh, zombie uprising. Every every couple of minutes, another member of staff has dropped and is is wandering around looking for some Pokemon. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's people of different ages, of different genders, um, and and they're all kind of going crazy for it. So even uh, even some people quite high up at Nuffield Health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got our very own digital and information officer, Alan Payne, um, who I spoke with um, about Pokemon Go. And um, he himself has the app and uh, has, has caught a few Pokemon himself. And so he's, uh, I think it's fair to say that he's a, a bit of a Pokemon fan? Uh, <laughs> judging by the conversation I had with him, it sounds like he is. Um, I think from a, a technical uh, perspective, he's very interested in any kind of trends, um, but he certainly um, does enjoy a bit of Pokemon. I think maybe because he has kids, that might help. So what's his take on, on this explosion in popularity? Well, I think uh, what, what Alan um, thinks is that it's very much capitalising on a very popular area. So Pokemon was absolutely enormous what 10 15 years ago it hasn't really gone away since and i think this game um as alan says is really capitalizing on that interest it's quite nostalgic for people um, and also by offering prizes and helping people to compete with other users and having that kind of multi-gamer in in various different locations you're able to actually communicate with people in a very different way and um, that seems to be the big appeal of it really but you know don't take my word for it let's listen to the man himself so alan um pokemon go it's absolutely everywhere on social media at the moment tell us a bit about it well what looks looks like a crazy craze actually has quite a deep scientific um capability underneath it so for for our listeners, Pokemon Go is a um, gamification exercise game which allows customers or users of the game to compete with each other to find Pokemons. So those of you that haven't watched the cartoon or read the, read the books, the lovable Pikachu, who is a core character in that uh, very lovable cat-like creature, uh, uh, exists to, uh, um, to compete against other people. So it's a competitive game. Uh, and it was originated in Japan to uh, create gaming cards and it was a huge revenue earner in creating cartoon series and so on and so forth. What's interesting about this phenomenon is they've taken the concept and they've created a massive, what's called a multiplayer online game, uh, MMOs as they're, as they're referred to. And it's actually um, uh, one of several that have been around for a while. There's a, another notable one called Ingress, which I'll cover later. Uh, but the fundamental reason for them, although on the face of it is a game, actually the main purpose is to get people walking, is to get people active. And they've done this by creating um, uh, prizes based on location. So Trafalgar Square, the lion on Trafalgar Square, could be a character that you would go and collect, but you have to physically be there. And they've done this through geotagging, famous locations, where you can also uh, find crazy characters from this whole game uh, to enable you to, to, to get better. So you're, you're competing against other people. But fundamentally, it's to get you active. And what do you think is the main appeal of fitness gaming like po Pokemon Go? 
so what they've done is they've they've actually uh, not referred to activity at all in the whole thing. So actually, it's a it's a byproduct. Um, so it's not seen as a way for you to get fit or get more active or do your ten thousand steps a day. And I think actually uh, suppressing that has acted as a real behavioural motivator to actually get people out. So it's actually about you competing against people, about you getting rewards and therefore feeling better about yourself for those rewards. The byproduct is you'll lose weight. And how does Pokemon Go progress or reflect fitness gaming uh, that we've seen in the past? So this is just the latest evolution. What it's done is it's it's leveraged off an incredibly popular um, uh, set of characters which are incredibly well known, uh, especially to generations um, um, well behind us, uh, so Generation Millennial uh, and Generation Z uh, that have grown up with, uh, with these characters. Uh, equally, you could have done the same with Thunderbirds, I'm sure, which is something which would be more re reminiscent of my generation, uh, trying to find Tracy Ireland or something. The point is, is that you could have put any veneer on top of it, and it's the series in, uh, in a series of these things which are becoming more and more popular. Uh, there was one released about three years ago called Ingress, uh, which was incredibly powerful, uh, used uh, by, by Google. Uh, and again, the real purpose behind it was to see how many more miles or, or steps people took. And the numbers are staggering. I think there are over 20 million users of Ingress. Uh, Pokemon probably reached 20 million its first week, uh, certainly by the, uh, by the press announcements. Uh, but fundamentally, getting people moving is a good thing. And the fitness industry can learn from this. It can learn from it by using the same sort of techniques, reward, behaviour change, and positive reinforcement. How do you see the fitness industry applying the logic for Pokemon Go and perhaps even using fitness gaming? So it's, it's, it's definitely a great technique. There's been plenty of evidence uh, written by, uh, by a number of uh, very renowned uh, behavioural scientists on the impact of gamification uh, within behavioural change. Uh, as applied to uh, health and well-being, it's a challenging task because people's motivations change uh, time in, time out. So gamification is one of a series of tools that we would leverage as fitness professionals. Um, everything ranging from motivational interviewing at one end of the spectrum through to nudge behaviour at another, or uh, what are called a COMB model, where capability, opportunity and motivation equals sustained behaviour change, COMB. Uh, these are really powerful concepts, but it's not just about one thing, which is gamification, it's about applying other things as well. One size won't fit all. What motivates me may not motivate you. And what do you think is the next evolution of fitness gaming? Oh, uh, you know, this is, this is a really hard question, so thank you for asking. Um, for me, crystal ball gazing uh, is tough at the best of times, but uh, if I had to say where, it would, where it's going to go, it will be with the use of what are called bots or artificial intelligence that you would that would work out the best way for you to compete. Does gamification work for you? If not, why not? And to actually start to do that at scale. A psychologist could do it. If we could get a psychologist to teach a computer to do it, we could do it at scale. That's my crystal. Lovely. Thanks, Alan. I'll leave you to go and find Pikachu. What makes you think I don't already have him? Something tells me um, Alan's gone beyond Pikachu and he's actually well on his way to, to catching them all. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think he's quite far down the line already. And there's a, I mean, there is a really interesting piece around what this is doing to get people moving. Uh, uh, you know, some people will be playing it because they're, they're Pokemon fans. Some people will be playing it to check out what's happening. But everybody is getting out more if they're using this app.
Absolutely. And I think uh, Alan's point around fitness being a kind of byproduct is really key here. People are getting fit without even realizing they're getting fit. Um, I had a bit of a chat with um, Chris Foster, who's Nuffield Health's head of fitness as well. And uh, what he had to say on the matter of how Pokemon Go can help you get fit is that absolutely it's a fantastic way for people to get fit without realizing, for people to boost their step count. So linking into all that kind of mobile tracking, um, it's all working together to get people more active. And particularly people that maybe tend to live more sedentary lives, that don't maybe get out and about unless they have a specific reason to do it. This is giving them a reason. I, absolutely. And, a, and a, it feels like a very smart play by Nintendo as well, who... Uh, actually, there was, uh, was a tweet uh, I saw this week alluding to the fact that Nintendo had been losing the home console wars for um, the best part of a decade. And uh, instead of producing another console to, to go toe-to-toe with, with PlayStation and, and Xbox, they're actually uh, taking people out of the house and away from consoles altogether. So maybe it's a, a bit of a guerrilla market play as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think the mobile market has been growing and exploding so much for the last decade or more. Um, gaming, the gaming industry can't really ignore it. And they haven't been, um, to, to be fair to, to them. Um, it's been going on for mm-hmm. a little while. Um, Alan mentioned the game Ingress as well, which mm-hmm. itself has around 20 million users. Um, very popular, very immersive game. And I think that that all ties back um, into what Matt was saying as well um, about how virtual reality and and even augmented reality can have a a new uh, take take on fitness, really. I mean, further down the line, um, I I can see um, virtual personal training um, becoming a big thing off the back of this kind of gaming um, potential. You could be competing with people across the world um, for fitness. And so I think from that perspective, it's really exciting. Absolutely. Now, uh, cards on the table, Nikki. Are you a Pokemon goer? Oh, dear, you've asked me the question. Uh, I have to be honest, I've not tried it yet, but now that it's available in the UK, I'm probably going to have to give it a download. And... Uh, you're not. I'm, I take it you're not a, a Pokemon fan at heart. No, uh, no red caps or posters of Pikachu on your bedroom wall. <laughs> no, it kind of bypassed me. I'm afraid I might be a bit too old for that. <laughs> so my question is: Would there be a dynasty of of cartoons from your childhood that would get you downloading an app? <laughs> if, if we're the pre uh, Pokemon generation, what oh. would get us out? That's a good question. Um, well, see, I posed uh, a question in the office the other day because I recall a, game, um, a cartoon called Kissy Fur, um, which was a big one from my youth. Um, but it was kind of met with uh, blank looks around the room. Uh, no one seemed to have heard of it. So maybe it was just a very personal um, thing for me. Um, I guess the, uh, the future of healthcare will be bespoke. So maybe you're onto something. Maybe you're right there, yeah. Alright, thanks for your time, Nikki. Uh, chat to you soon. Uh, no problem, Saul. Thanks. Bye. Okay, that's it for episode two of the Tech Health Podcast. Um, thanks from me. Go to Matthew Stout from Applied VR, uh, Nikki May Young and Alan Payne from Nuffield Health. 
We'll be back with more tech health insights when this Pokemon epidemic has died down. I've outdone myself by getting this podcast on iTunes and Pocket Casts. So if you've liked what you've heard on the Tech Health Podcast, make sure you subscribe and give us a rating, and we will return. <laughs>